Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I'm recording this at the last minute on Tuesday, June 2nd. This was not the episode I had planned for this week. And I am recording this because of everything that's going on in our society right now. First and foremost, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. Secondly, we have just experienced as a society the death of George Floyd. And if you're anything like me, you're watching TV and you're heartbroken and sad and mad and angry and confused about what to do to make this situation better. And that's where I started my journey before I decided to record this episode. I've learned a lot in the last 48 hours as I was researching to bring this episode to you. And I think it, I feel the responsibility to bring this platform and to bring education. And my ultimate goal is to create impact. So I'm hoping that by listening to this episode today, that it will have some impact or influence on what you do to take action. I know many of us have wanted to help and feel powerless to do anything. And as you listen with that mindset, I challenge you at the end of the episode to think about what you will do and the action you will take. Because this episode is around helping you move from being powerless and helpless and sad about the situation to really stepping up and taking action. And my guest today, Eric Johnson, is amazing. He's not only a great friend, I met Eric in our coach training program. He's a speaker, he's a certified executive coach, he owns and operates a consulting firm named Incited. And His company specializes in building solutions for organizations that have challenges around diversity and inclusion. So he's an expert on the topic, which is why I asked him to come and talk to my audience today. But more so, I asked him to come talk today because of his personal experience. He is a black man living in America. He has a different experience than I do. Maybe you do. And what I ask for you today as you listen to this episode is to listen and just listen. (laughs) There's nothing else really to say. I just would love for you to listen, to learn, and to potentially have you do something different. And that may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be next year. You may need time to process the information in this podcast but I do challenge you to step out of your comfort zone and take action. Now, at the end of the episode, I just want to add here, at the end of the episode, Eric and I talk about an offer that we have for a free book. And I said to email me. I will tell you that in the show notes, there's a link for you to go and opt in to receive the book. You can also email me, but I would prefer if you would go there is a free book offer. And again, it's around helping people be educated on this topic because I'm passionate about it. And it's my way of taking action. So listen to the end. You'll hear the offer for the book. 
it's very generous of Eric. I'm matching his offer because this is how we together want to make a difference. So listen into the episode. Let me know your thoughts and let's dive in. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. As I mentioned in the intro, I'm here with Eric, my friend and fellow coach. And Eric, I'm really glad you're here today. Unfortunately, under these circumstances, but I'm still glad you're here today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I thought it would be really great for us to just acknowledge that we're both nervous about this conversation. And we we talked about it prior to this call. We're not usually people that are nervous about sharing our thoughts or standing up in front of a room or, you know, even being on this podcast. I I feel very comfortable on this podcast and I am very nervous about this conversation. Yeah, and I sort of think that sort of speaks to the subject, right? Like I am too, because there's a lot of emotions that are kind of swirling right now on the planet, especially in this nation right? And even in others, it's spilling over into many different nations right now. And I think that it's fair to just say, this is scary to talk about. And I'm not sure how I feel about all of it. And even though I typically stand up in front of people too, and just kind of, it comes right on out. Today, I'm like, uh, I just want to make sure that I don't know what the actual nervousness is. Exactly. I can't put my finger on the exact thing, but it's there. And it's nice that you're there right there with me. Hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share what it is for me. First of all, I'm just going to preface this conversation that I already know I'm going to get emotional. Okay. So I think for me, it's like, it's really wanting to do justice to this conversation. It's wanting to do it right. Yeah. It's, wanting to honor the people that I don't walk in their shoes and really wanting to do the best job that I can possibly do. And quite honestly, like I'm afraid of messing it up. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's fair. I think there's a a lot of similarities between how we're feeling right now. Right. And I think that it's important to even say what you've just said, because I think that's been part of the problem the entire time is that it's so uncomfortable. It's just easier not to talk about it. It's easier not to access those emotions. It's easier not to be feel vulnerable. And it feels good to kind of go there anyway and to not be alone while I'm doing it. So Mm. thank you. Well, I have to tell you, I'm glad we're doing it together. Yeah, me too. I respect and admire you so much. And you and I are, you know, very connected and good friends and I am glad that we're doing this together and that we're going through the discomfort together. Yes, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, 
for the listeners who maybe aren't listening to this podcast when it's going to be released on June 3rd, 2020, people may not know really what we're talking about right now. So let's, oh, okay. let's give context. Um, I'm going to let you kind of summarize where things are at and what's happening in the world. And Well, I will tell you that on my phone right now, I just got a public safety alert from the county of Los Angeles ordering another curfew from 6 p.m. tonight to 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. And the reason for that is because there are protests that are starting off peaceful but are turning into riots around the issue of racism, specifically the George Floyd issue or incident, I should say. And we're just, you know, we're going to attempt to talk about all of that in this conversation. Yeah, and I just want to add, you know, since the death of George Floyd, I know all of us have had emotions. We've had emotions all together. Mm-hmm. I think we've had emotions individually, depending on our race. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's part of the conversation I want to acknowledge today as well, is that there are a lot of people feeling uncomfortable for different reasons. Yeah. But I also want to say, too, that there are a lot of people who have been, you know, either social media influencers or on Facebook or friend, you know, who who are saying, like, look, it's actually, you know, Dark Tuesday. I'm going off of social media. There are a lot of my white course creators and social media influencers that I follow who are saying, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm actually going dark. And I'm going to use this time to amplify black voices and people of color. And for me, I have no judgment around that. I think that they're doing what they need to do for themselves. And that's great. I really thought about whether or not I should do this podcast or not. And where I landed is that I have a platform. I have listeners. I have people that are downloading this. And when I really reflect back onto my core values and what's important to me is I want to create impact and connection for people. And when I really reflected back on what my core values are, to me, that meant for me that I have a responsibility, an obligation, and an opportunity more so to use this platform, to give it to someone of color, to have a voice, and to connect to other people, and to educate. And that's why I reached out to you, because... I want you to have this platform and I want us to have this platform to just influence one person. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I I appreciate you kind of going out on the limb like that and saying, I have this, I have this opportunity and I'm going to grab it. The other thing that I really wanted to mention based on what you said is I know for a fact that there are plenty of influencers, there are plenty of people that are trying to hand over the voice to the person of color. But what, another thing that I really appreciate about what you're doing right now is it is not, Black voices are not the only voices that need to be heard right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone's voice needs to be heard right now. So even though their intentions might may be well and good in handing it over, if they're able to influence from their seat as well, which is what I'm seeing you do now, that is powerful. And it is something that I admire about you. I, I admire your your determination and your willingness to kind of go there. 
when you could have easily done the same thing. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for saying that. I, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm not doing any, I, I want my listeners to know I'm not doing any of this for any acknowledgement. It comes from a place of service. It comes from a place of learning a lot about myself, which I'll share later. It's, it's, it's more appropriate to share it later, but around what I've learned about how to be a better ally. So I'll share that later. But I just like to start by, you know, maybe you can kind of summarize what you've gone through for the last six, seven days. Mm, last six, seven days of my experience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like most people, I've been, I've gone through lots of different emotions, right? I've been frustrated. I've been sad. I've been mad. I've been confused. I've been heartbroken. I've been like, here again, like we're doing this again. And the answer to that is yes, we are. Because the last time we did it, we didn't really, nothing really changed. I think that I do want to give a disclaimer about anything that I'm about to say. <laughs> yeah. And that I, I don't condone violence. I don't. I don't condone hatred. I don't condone vandalism. Obviously, I don't condone murder anywhere in the country or outside of this country. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I'm, I'm going to attempt to try to focus on is literally the festering wound that has been in this country. You know, the elephant in the room that nobody has really been talking about in ways where people have the tools they need to change things. And in fairness, there are plenty of people out there, regardless of, you know, whether they're white, black, brown, you know, Asian, mm-hmm. that would love to help, but they don't have any clue where to start. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people out there, like the people that you mentioned earlier, that are influencers, right? But they're white. And they're like, better right now to go dark and hand it over to people of color and let their voice be heard. But I think there are two problems with that that I just I see and I'm hoping that we can start to address that today the first thing is this is not a time for there to just be one a one-sided voice this is the time for a united voice the second thing is and I don't know how many would admit this but the second thing is if you don't know what to say which is fair Mm -hmm. and if you feel like it's not even my right to say anything because I'm not really the one suffering here but you are you are suffering also because we're all connected. Whether you want to believe that or not, it is 100% true. And this is not something that we can fix by just having one voice heard. This is something we all have to go deep into in ourselves, which I will elaborate on as we continue to talk. But I understand where they're coming from when they go dark and when they try to hand it over. But I would hope that Whoever hears this podcast can see a different possibility and actually has one or two things that they can start to do today to start to heal what we're seeing today. Because it it is deeply painful to a lot of people. And a lot of people are tired of just having to even have this conversation over and over again. But hopefully, all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the frustration and anger is not for nothing. It's not for not, right? Like we we all can make it mean something different than it did last time. And we all have an opportunity just like you did in having this conversation. Yeah. I just want to take a breath and you know what you said was so powerful and it's so true. 
we are all connected. And yet we put each other in so many different boxes and judgments and, you know, you're, you're black, I'm white, that person's Asian, that person's gay, <laughs> you know, we, that yeah. person is working, not working, stay at home mom, working mom. I mean, we judge each other all day long. Absolutely. And yet we are all connected. We're all connected. And I appreciate you being here to address it and to talk about, you know, your experiences. And and I also appreciate the fact that you said, look, you know what? We need all voices right now. Yes. We need all voices. This is an opportunity for all of us to be united. And And I will tell you, you know, I was speaking to my friend Karen this morning about this, and she said something it's a quote she often uses. And she said, you know, there's beauty in the mess. Absolutely. And in every situation, whether you look back on Hitler and the Jews and the persecution of the Jews, and if you look back on our history as a country and what we've done to people of color, and we, you know, even we look at George Lloyd and the situation happening right now and the protests, there's always beautiful moments that we see we see officers yeah. kneeling with other officers or with protesters we see yeah. officers giving people hugs in protests and i mean those are the moments that touch me so deeply because we are i really do believe that we are all connected yeah and i also say at the same time i agree with you i talk to my white friends my white clients and there is a feeling that, you know what, since I haven't walked in your shoes, the feeling is, I don't know what to say. And so what do you say to people that are feeling that right now? I say, I guess a few things. First, if you're able to actually access that feeling inside of you, where you're like, I don't have a right to say anything right now. And if I did, I don't know what I would say. It actually makes things a tiny bit better. If you actually even say that out loud, I want to say something. I want to help, but I don't feel it's my right. And I don't feel like I know what to say if it was. Mm -hmm. It just makes it better. It makes everyone that's being impacted by this feel like we're united and that everyone cares about this. And this is not a black, brown, Asian problem. This is a, all of our problems. This is a worldwide thing. It's not even just the United States. We're seeing protests break out in Japan. Mm -hmm. We're seeing protests break out in uh, London, right? Like mm -hmm. all different parts of the world. Yep. This is a pressure point that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And I know when you and I were talking about it before, you know, we talked about the last time L.A., our country, really was in this situation was the Rodney King riots. Yeah. And so do you want to share anything about that? Rodney King riots, 1992. Mm -hmm. I remember, do you remember seeing Rodney King, like the images of Rodney King on television after they beat him? Absolutely. Like they beat him within an inch of his life, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's 1992. And same thing happened. Riots and protests and the call for change. The call for change was what the uprising was all about. How can this continue to happen? And it was funny, of all the people, there's, yeah, I don't know if you remember the famous Rodney King quote. Remind me. Even in, can't we all just get along? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. And it's funny, right? Like he's still healing from being beat up. And, and I, re- I remember that. I remember him saying that in 2020, the answer is no for some people. But I think that there is a large and growing group that really does want to just get along. They don't understand that in 1992, the beating of Rodney King has escalated to thousands and thousands being murdered in 2020. No more beatings. It's flat out murder. And for the the thousands that have happened that weren't on camera, it seems like this is about George Floyd and the memory of George Floyd. No, this is about the injustice from the last time we saw this to now. In our community and other community, minority communities, we know what's happening because our brother, our uncle, they go missing. And the justice around all that is spotty, depending on how it was captured. Were there cameras? Were there no cameras? You know, so that's, it seems like this is, you know, seems like this is a reaction specifically to George Floyd, but it's so much bigger than that. And it has been, even before the Rodney King riots, it was way bigger than that. I think maybe this is a good time to explain a little bit about my personal experience. Just to kind of illuminate, you know, yeah, 1992 was what it was. But I mean, my first experience or conversation about racism was when I was four. My parents sat me down and said, okay, (laughs) this is how the world is and you have to be careful. And You know, the conversation was simple and just told me where to go, who to talk to, who not to talk to. And when I was talking to somebody, how to be respectful and how to make sure that there wasn't any more trouble than there needed to be. It was a very simple conversation, but I could tell. I remember um, it being, that's like one of my earliest memories is that conversation with my parents. Because... I don't know if you remember any of your earliest, you know, conversations with your parents, but you can tell when something's deeply painful for them to Mm -hmm. even have to have with you. Mm -hmm. You can see it and you can feel it. And I remember that. So um, fast forward to 2020. Eric, I just want to pause there just for a second. So you're four. I mean, let's just put that in perspective. You're four Mm -hmm. years old. Yeah. And your parents know from their own experience obviously that they need to have this conversation with you yeah i remember why because i was about to go to kindergarten Mm. and in those days you can walk to school by Mm. yourself and they had just done the i mean i live like two blocks from the school right so my parents walk me to school and then they walk me home and then the next day they walk me to school (laughs) and they walk me home because they're showing me how to get to and from the school right and after they did that a few days they're like okay we're gonna let you do your thing on your own. We're going to see how you do, even though I'm pretty sure they were following me. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that's when they had the conversation with me about, you know, what is okay and what's not okay. And what will could, you know, you have to be careful because things could go sideways real quick. If you don't now, they didn't say it that way because I was four. Right. But, they definitely let me know that I needed to be careful and I needed to be respectful and I needed to be, you know, keep my head down and 
do exactly what I'm telling them to do and don't go off and do extra things off, off to the side because mm-hmm. they wanted me to be safe. I remember them saying, because we need you to be safe. And how did you feel during that conversation? I mean, when I was four, I felt like a conversation that my parents were having with me about being obedient to them, like, listen to me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's a very different experience when you're four. You don't know what racism is. You don't know that there are things out there that can actually happen, right? My mentality was tiny. It was four-year-old mentality. But I tell you one thing, that conversation has reverberated over and over and over again, the older I've gotten. And the meaning behind it has expanded and expanded. And I mean, we've had additional conversations since I was four. I'm just mentioning that because that was the first time. And that initial one, that initial conversation is the one that I remember the most. And so how can you share with my audience how that conversation and the expansion of that conversation has played out for you as a Black man in America? Yeah, I mean, I can give you an example of how it, a recent example. Um, So unfortunately, one of my really close friends passed away a few weeks ago. I'm sorry. And he was, he he was from Slovakia and his entire family is in Slovakia. So he lives very close to me and I, I have been helping the family through his sickness, his illness while he was in the hospital and his passing. And with all the logistics of, you know, trying to get his estate together and get him moved out of his apartment and things like that. And recently um, it was time to move him out of his apartment, most of which I did on my own, just simply because we're on lockdown. I can't have you know, 10 people come help me move. So it made more sense to have one person move as much as possible and then just have a few people come and do the big stuff because we're in a COVID situation. Right. right? So as I went into the apartment complex, the way that that four-year-old version of me, that conversation with my parents manifest was I literally made sure that I had a conversation with all the neighbors around his apartment complex. So when they saw me taking a television out of his house, they Mm. knew what was happening. That is how I've been trained. That's how I move through the world, that you mitigate really bad circumstances just by communicating well. And so that's what I did. I knocked on all his neighbor's doors and I told them, hey, this is what happened in A314. And I'm his friend and I am here moving him out. So if you see me walking out with a giant television or his computer or any of the other things that I moved out of his place, that this is why I'm doing it. You don't need to call anyone to come because, you know, yeah, I know what it looks like. And if they call the police, you don't know who you're going to (laughs) get. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, as you share that story, you know. I'm aware as a white person through watching movies, right, that the talk is about, you know, you placing your hands on the dashboard of a car when you get pulled over. And that Mm -hmm. was about the extent of it. So when you share that story with me, it makes me realize how little I know about the thoughts and the energy and how you have to move through the world in a much different way that I just take for granted. I don't have to think about those things. Yeah. You know, and I appreciate you sharing that to help people become aware not only of what white privilege looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't have to think about that. 
But I also appreciate you sharing that story to let people know that maybe when they do see something, it might not be what it seems. Right. <laughs> right? We make yeah, a lot of I mean, assumptions based on judgments and based on on learning to be racist. We're not born racist. Right. And I think just to kind of piggyback on what you just said, one of the neighbors, which actually happened to be his next very next door neighbor, he wasn't there when I knocked on his door. But I actually met him in the parking garage while I was parked and moving, actually moving the TV at that moment. Mm-hmm. And he just said, what happened? What happened? Where is he? And I actually just appreciated that question so much. Like, I would love it if people saw something like that and just ask what happened. And just gave it the benefit of the doubt for a minute because it was honestly nice to be asked and it was really nice to be able to tell him what happened. Yeah. Because that was his next door neighbor and he really cared for him. Right. right? And what an amazing ability for you to share that experience with somebody, just that human experience, right? Not based on color, not based on anything else, just a shared human experience of the loss of a neighbor and a friend. Yeah. So we talked about some of these things beforehand. So as you and I kind of talked about beforehand, Eric, there is a lot of anger and a lot of rage. And I thought you did a great, I thought you explained it in a way that people can understand yeah. And would you mind, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Would you mind expanding on like the symbolism and the the picture that you talked about? Because I think it's, it's an easy way to explain what may seem illogical right now. Yeah. So I think that um, I did spend a little bit of time talking about trying to apply logic to some, to something that's just not logical. Right. So I think we both agree that logic is logic and feelings are feelings and feelings are not logical. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you see images on the television of race protests that morph into riots as a response to a murder, the murder of George Floyd, logically, you're like, why are you doing that in reaction to the murder? Logically, it doesn't make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But emotions are not logical. They are not logical. So to try to connect those two in that way is just sort of leaves you kind of, I don't know, more confused than you were before. Sure. And then you're stuck with all the additional feelings that come from that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I um, think how I said it before is that I just don't, I don't want to oversimplify <laughs> what people are saying right now, but I hope that if people remember ever reaching a level of anger and rage and kind of a response to a deep and growing pain or resentment. Maybe a plate was broken or maybe a glass was broken or maybe there was a new hole in the wall in their home. Mm -hmm. Now, destroying your own property doesn't make logical sense as a response to that hurt, but it's not supposed to, right? It's just like a tiny, tiny outburst of emotion and it's designed kind of as an outward expression of what's inside of you. It's helpless. It's destructive. But, you know, as with most of what we're talking about, it's all rooted in fear. And Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit, because you say you shared with me that you feel like there are two kinds of fear. 
absolutely. So I kind of put all fears in two buckets. Um, one is the fear of death. And the second is the fear of abandonment. And I would love to, t- like, I would love to do a whole podcast just on fear. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Because <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time studying that lately. But for the sake of this talk, I think that when those buckets overflow one or the other or both at the same time, yeah, you get the logical reaction, mm-hmm. the one that we're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. The other thing is some people get stuck in logic. They do. They're like, nope, there is nothing that you can say. This does not make this right. And I am not saying that at all. I, I do not, like I said in the beginning, I don't condone any of it. But for the people that like logic, and no matter how much we say emotions are not logic, I will say this. We all agree that two wrongs don't make a right. Mm-hmm. But mathematically, this is incorrect. Mathematically, two negatives equal a positive. I appreciate you bringing that to our attention because for the logical people out there, you're right. Maybe it's a an opportunity for them to reframe and to potentially understand from a logical perspective why why it makes sense. Why it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, I think that I want to be careful about spending a lot of time talking about George Floyd and the reaction to George Floyd, because I think when you get stuck in that loop, you miss the point. How so? I think that what we are seeing right now and what we're kind of being pushed to do in media and other forms of the way that we're consuming all of this is there's the camp that is outraged by the murder in and of itself, but they can't understand the reaction to it. And that's as far as they go. They're frustrated and angry. And when you just don't understand something, sometimes it's hard to go past that. Start to ask the questions around how can we, what, how and what can we do to, to, to start to make some inroads into this and to start to heal it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I'm glad we talked about that. And, 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 um, but I want to hopefully spend as much time as possible talking about what we can do. Perfect. I really want to spend time talking about that too. Okay. Before we do that, I think it's really important we cover what doesn't work. Ah, okay. So there's three things that I know for sure just aren't helping. (laughs) Yeah. Let's have this conversation because this is the honest conversation that we need to have. Yeah. The first is blame. I feel like if you spend a lot of time just blaming other people, organizations, administrations, countries, anybody else, it doesn't do anything to cure the emotional trauma that we're seeing, that we're experiencing, right? So I think I use an example before in saying that, imagine that you're admitted to the hospital and you have a serious physical condition, like something needs to be done immediately to treat you. Right. And your doctor spends all their time trying to figure figure out who to blame for why you're there in the first place. <laughs> it doesn't help you in that moment, right? Right. So why is blame used? It's used as a, another deflection of of an honest look at the elephant in the room, right? I agree. And that is not helping us by, by us doing that and kind of engaging in the blame game. The second thing I would say is silence. Saying nothing is often interpreted as condoning what's happening. But that's not necessarily true. I think most, pe- most of the time people just, they don't say anything because they don't feel as, either they don't feel as though they have the right to, Mm -hmm. they don't know what to say. Right. 
Well, right. we're going to talk about that today and, and maybe things that they can say and things that they can do. Because like you said, I really want to, that's my goal of today. And my intention of today is to help people step into action. Yeah, I appreciate that. And mm-hmm. I agree with you 100%. The last thing that I will say doesn't help is just accepting all the media we consume in it in whatever way that we consume it as gospel and 100% true, right? So I think that that's difficult because that requires people to kind of compare and contrast and think outside of the box and form their own opinions. And, you know, but I will say this small factions in the police force that are corrupt and racist does not necessarily mean there aren't good cops that truly want to keep us all safe, right? Small factions that infiltrate peaceful protests with the goal of inciting riots does not mean that the majority of people that were there truly did want peace and security for their families. So I just want to make sure that people understand that the media and all the different forms of it, they have their motives and their agenda for why they present things the way that they do. This is why you watch one network. It looks one way. You watch the exact same story on another network. It's completely spun a different way. Right. So making sure that people are seeing that the way that the story is presented feeds into a narrative and that narrative is tied to financial gain and they don't really have much regard for the collateral damage that that it causes one way or the other. So it's up to you to figure that part out. I agree. And I also, and I want to add, it doesn't matter what station you're watching. Exactly. It doesn't matter if it's Fox or CNN. It does not. Right wing. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. We we talked about this actually during our coach training together because we Mm -hmm. were in coach training for a year together. Mm-hmm. And we talked about there's different energy levels and not to get too woo-woo on the audience, but yeah. <laughs> there there is an energy level. And we actually talked about the media mm-hmm. being at a certain energy level. And that is all around fear. Yes. It propagates fear. Fear is very profitable. It is. And so yeah. it's just important to note that. So I'm glad you're Absolutely. I'm glad you're bringing it up. So I really want to transition with the time that we have left around stepping into action and and what what we can do to make a difference. So I'm going to let you take it from here and then I'm going to add along the way. Awesome. So I um, there is a quote on the subject of racism by Gene Houston that I like. It says, change the story and you change perception, change perception and you change the world. Mm, That's so beautiful. It is. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the part of me that really connects with that is where do you change the story? Mm-hmm. It's not on the news. It's inside of you. It's true, my right? friend. Yes. So when you believe, understand and believe something different, the story changes and your perception changes. And that's where the power is. So I um, come across a book. It's relatively new by an author named Ruth King. It's called Mindful of Race, Transforming Racism from the Inside Out. And her thesis, or what she's trying to do in this book, is to cure the disease of racism. Now, I've read a few books on racism Mm -hmm. and, and the work that I do. And this is one of the very best that I've ever come across because it literally starts to address. She really means it when she says transforming racism from the inside out. 
And she means from the inside out of each of us. And so what I'm going to try to do now is sort of give everyone here kind of a summary of the meat of her book. Um, she came up with an acronym to explain four things that each of us can do to kind of start the healing. Perfect. So the acronym is RAIN, R-A-I-N. Okay. The R is for recognize. She's saying to recognize what's happening. So how do we do this? Ask ourselves, ask what's happening inside of each of us right now. Just ask and listen for the answer to how you feel in the moment. And then when you listen, you may hear, I'm angry, I'm afraid, I'm right. Hmm. She says to drop the I'm and just use the word angry, scared, confused, powerless, whatever it is you're feeling. It's important to practice naming these feelings in order to recognize the thoughts and emotions that are taking place. Simply characterize the experience by noticing what's happening and naming what's happening. So the goal of that is to short circuit the loop of constant thought chatter that kind of brings you present into a direction, a direct connection with what you're experiencing. So it actually brings you into the now of yeah. what you're experiencing. Right? And what I love about that, Eric, is it really is an opportunity for people who haven't paused to realize what they are feeling. Yeah. To really take a moment to be in and lean into the discomfort or the anger, the sadness, the fear, the outrage, like whatever it is. Yeah. Without judgment, right? Just exactly. honoring that for themselves. Exactly. And just saying, yeah, you know, I'm outraged. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm pissed off. Yep. I'm scared. Whatever. And I'll let you continue on. But just that awareness is so powerful. I agree completely. Yeah. The second letter A is allow and ask, can I be with what's happening? So once you recognize what's happening, you can ask, can I allow it to be known? So allowing is not the same as condoning. Um, so it, it kind of just, it welcomes and receives what is here now and allows you to relax control of your experience in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So once you recognize what's there, fear, anger, sadness, whatever it is, can you just allow it to be there? And so if you're going to ask questions around that, some of them might sound like this. This is hard. Let me just be with it. Or can I just be with it? Mm -hmm. Of course this hurts. Let me just be with it. Yeah, I'm afraid. Let me just allow the fear. That's what allowing sounds like. This is how it is right now. I'm having a hard time, but I care about all of this. Right? That's what it is to allow. So to allow is to soften. And if practice can lead to freedom, even in the most distressful times, like the ones we're experiencing right now, she says something. I, I really love this sentence. Allowing helps us to befriend racial distress by allowing awareness to permeate the territory of tightness. Mm -hmm. It is a direct quote from her book. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I know the work that you're talking about is internal, right? It's yes. for each of us. It's for individual. It's it, this, this is, is all our, individual. This is our personal work. Yep. The one thing I will add here is we also need to allow others to have their individual work. Absolutely. And so... When I see people of color angry, yelling, mad, protesting, rioting, again, I'm not condoning it either. Right. You know, just 
maybe being being completely illogical in our mind. Yep. You know what? That is me allowing them the space and the opportunity and the and the freedom to express that without judgment. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. important during any highly emotional or triggering event, which this has triggered things in all of us, that not only do we allow ourselves that space and that opportunity, but, you know, our Black colleagues at work, our people, of you know, friends, Indigenous communities at work, maybe they're off. Maybe they're sending a curt email that day. Maybe, you know, maybe there's things that are going on that we just don't understand that they're, that they're feeling. Right. We need to give people space and room to allow that for themselves, too. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just, I wanted to No, you that. didn't. I'm just thinking about what you just said. Yeah, I think that it is important to just pay attention to what's happening, be with it without judgment, if possible. Now we're human. We're going to have moments where we judge things and ourselves and others, right? But as much as possible, that's the work. Kind of dig in there and try our best to just pay attention without interference and to try to do it without wishing things were other than they are, were something other than they are at the moment, right? Yeah. Because that's part of the acceptance that's of just being in the now. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. I have days where I do great at that. Honestly, I have days that's a challenge. Yeah, but you know what? If we just get 1% better... Five percent better. That is the ripple effect. That's the ripple effect Mm -hmm. that we create for ourselves and for our neighbors and for our coworkers and for our brothers and sisters. And that's what we need to do. We we need to do the hard work. That's the reality. Yeah. Yeah. And so far, we've kind of clued into the hard work being internal because it is. I think that the hard. How do I say this without sounding too woo-woo? <laughs> say it, my friend. <laughs> I think that racism is a consciousness. And it's a consciousness that's, that's an energy that's fed into by a large group of people. So the work really is individual to shift the consciousness of the whole. I agree completely. We can't rely on administrations, federal government, people at work, the uh, law enforcement, we can't re- rely on them to do this work for us. They cannot and will not change a consciousness. It comes from us. I agree. So let me go, let me go to I. I is investigate. How am I relating to what's happening? The first two steps, recognizing and, and allowing, they're sufficient for greeting, accepting, and releasing racial distress. But sometimes we got to go further by investigating the ways in which we've become kind of knot it up and explore how to kind of relieve future pressure. If we imagine that all distress has inherent wisdom, we can begin to see that there may be a need for a more intimate investigation by asking, how am I relating to what's happening? And I like that King suggests that we're not looking for a conceptual answer there. We really are just exploring the rhythms, patterns, beliefs, and places of aliveness in the body, heart, and mind. So to investigate how you're relating to what you recognized and allowed and are allowing, I should say. Here's some questions that might help facilitate answers 
and the subsequent pause, because you ask the question, there's a pause there while you're waiting for the answer. And then there's an invitation for your body to be at the center stage as you look at how perceptions are being experienced and who you are without them. Mm. So one of the questions is you can ask what's happening. What am I perceiving? How am I relating to what's happening? What impact is my experience having on my heart, mind, and body? What assumptions am I making? Do they support distress and freedom? In my convictions, what's left out of you? That's a powerful question. I just want to repeat that. In my convictions, what's left out of you? Yeah. Because the reality is we all have blind spots. And we all have biases. Yeah. All of us. This is not work for white folks. This is work for all of us. Mm. Every single one of us. I agree. Which sort of brings us back to, you know, certain groups having a voice. No, we need everybody to do this work. One thing I did want to mention, because she mentions it in this book, Ruth King mentions that the investigative questions are best done when there's some degree of stability in the body and mind. (laughs) So I don't know... For the listeners here, I hope that they have a mechanism for creating that stability. Some people use meditation. Some people use, chant, you know, all there's a thousand different ways. Some people use yoga. There's different ways of centering yourself and, and come, becoming more stable. She definitely spends a little bit of time talking about the importance of that. So I'm mentioning it here in case anyone's just taking this podcast and running with it. Sure. Because <laughs> um, that is very important. But the overall overarching goal is that when we investigate, we bring awareness to what hinders and what heals, and we strengthen our capacity to witness racial distress in our mind and body while cultivating a wise heart. Yeah, and Erica, as I hear you sharing this, this piece of it feels like both learning and then unlearning. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And I think that especially for the folks that feel like they know the answers to these questions, please ask anyway. Hmm. Please ask anyway. Because the more you dig, the more you will find. And the more shifts are available within you and with everyone you know. And if we can ripple that out, we're on to something. I'm going to come back to that because I'm going to share my experience with that. Okay. Yep. The last letter is N for nurture. How do I care for this distress? So nurturing means to soften your resistance to what's here and care for the inner harm that resisting causes. The ultimate goal is freedom. When we ask, how do I care for this distress? What's needed? Like what facilitates a release? Because the mind is conditioned to be attached mentally and emotionally, you have to begin to ask these questions of the heart. And they sound a little like this. In this moment, what supports a release? Do external conditions need to be perfect in order for me to feel relief? What's at risk if I let go, soften or open? What supports freedom? So if you ask these questions, kind of relax and open, listen into them. It's important to make sure you're taking care of yourself during the process. So King describes this as a self-cooing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a phrase I, I never read before I, I read her book. She says it's a phrase that 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 you use to sort of take care of yourself. There are phrases that you use to take care of yourself in this process, right? So as you're going through it, you might say something like, I forgive you. I'm here for you, right? As you're going through it, I love you. 
there are lots and lots of meth- methods for self-care in this. I hope that many of the listeners have kind of an arsenal of those available to them. And I hope they use them all as they're going through this. It's, it, it definitely self-care is a hundred percent needed in this phase. Mm-hmm. And that's rain. I can do a quick summary if you'd like, or. Sure. Can... Yeah. Why don't you summarize for everyone? Okay. So ours recognize your self-inquiry is the question, what's happening? What's obvious in the moment? The practice is noticing and naming. The A is for allow. The self-inquiry is, can I be with what's happening? Practice is, yes, welcome it. Yes, it's like this right now. And yes, of course, this is hard. Investigate is the I. The self-inquiry is, how am I relating to what's happening? The practice is, track experience with kind awareness. And the N is nurture. The self-inquiry is, how do I care for this distress? Practices in this moment, what is needed that I can offer and what facilitates release and freedom? I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that with everyone. I really appreciate it. I uh, appreciate you. I actually appreciate being in a position to relate that and that it's come into my view this particular time. I do hope that, you know, I gave a synopsis, a quick synopsis of one of the most powerful acronyms that that is in her book, but it's a book. I mean, it's on so many pages. This is, you know, it's 300 pages. Yeah. And there's lots and lots of more tips and tricks in there that I think could be very, very helpful for people that are invested in really making a change right now. For those that really have been stuck around, what can I do? Perfect. We're going to come back to how you and I are going to help facilitate that for people. Awesome. So I want to, first of all, thank you for sharing your personal stories and your personal history and your experiences, because I think it's enlightening and educational. I appreciate the time and the effort that you've taken to research the subject, not only from your personal perspective, but the time and effort that you put into preparing for this podcast and sharing everything with this audience. And I want to share a little bit about my journey. I didn't want to make this podcast about me. I I really didn't. But I also think it's important that I share what I've personally learned over the last few days. Okay. So one of the things is that you said as part of the rain, as part of the I, investigate. Mm -hmm. You said in my convictions, what's left out of view. And I will say, and I mean, I, this is me just getting re- really real here and like really vulnerable. And like I said, it's in the beginning, it's probably not going to be perfect. I might not say the right things, but I just want to be really honest with people. Prior to George Floyd and everything that's happened in the last six, seven days, as my teenagers would say, I think I was, I thought I was a pretty woke person. Uh I did. Uh I said things like I'm not a racist. Uh I said things like I have black friends. Uh And as I started being more curious about what has happened and I've watched the media and I started actually quite honestly, learning from my teenage daughter, who is a huge 
I mean, both of my kids are huge social activists. Mm-hmm. And I started ask, I, I started inquiring with them about, I want to do a podcast on this. Like, you guys have so much knowledge. Like, teach me. Mm-hmm. And I told them that I reached out to you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they said to me, which I have since learned in further readings on social media and articles and everything else, was like, it is not the responsibility of people of color to teach us. <laughs> it's not. If this is something that we are passionate about, we need to take the initiative. We need to quit sitting on the sidelines and we need to freaking do something about it. We need to get off our freaking couches and we need to read the books. We need to read the articles. We need to take a stand at work. We need to take risks. And it is not the, I mean, I, I literally look at what you've put together for today. I mean, there were notes. We had a pre-call. You canceled appointments because this podcast wasn't in the plans. And you have rearranged your day and you've made accommodations to be here at your expense to educate my primarily white audience. And I completely appreciate that you've done that. But the reality is, is that it is my audience's responsibility. It's my responsibility to educate myself. And once my daughters shared that with me, I was, I had this like, holy shit moment. And I was like, you know what? I actually need to get my butt out and, and explore these things. And as I started exploring and as I started researching and as I started educating myself, here's what I realized. It is completely inappropriate to say that you're not a racist. You're either racist or you're anti-racist. If you're a racist, that means neutrality. And that means you are not taking a stand. You are not doing anything. So let me just be really clear. I am an anti-racist. I am owning that. I am too. And I'm going to find out more about really what that means. And I will tell you what I'm sharing with you today does not exonerate me in any way. Doesn't I'm not sitting here trying to say that I'm perfect with any of this stuff. I still have a crap load to learn. But I just want to share with people what I've learned because I feel like this might be the starting point for many people. Absolutely. So, you know, when I reached out to my three black friends, <laughs> um, I did say, look, I don't know what to say. My heart hurts and I care and I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And, and then after I, you know, after I educated myself more, it's like, you know what? No, I need to learn what the frick to say. That's just me being passive. And yes, sensitive in a way. And I know you addressed it earlier in the podcast of like, look, if you don't know what to say, just say you don't know what to say. Just be honest about it instead of mm-hmm. silence. So it's better than silence. Exactly. But what I'm trying to say is like, I want to do better than that. And that's my mission is like, I want to do better than that. And that's why I chose, sorry, Eric, what? I think you are. (laughs) I'm on a roll. So no, and that's why I chose to do this podcast. Because to me, this podcast is me learning what to say and trying to get a message out, whether it be perfect or not. And I think we all 
especially as women, because there's a lot of women listening to my podcast. I think as women, we try to have everything perfect before we move forward. And you know what? This is not the time to be perfect before you move forward. You know what? What I also learned is that we, as a white culture, we need to stop being defensive. When you're sharing your opinion or when indigenous people are sharing their opinions about what's going on, you know what? All we need to be doing right now is listening. We need to be listening to your experience. We also need to be open to being wrong. (laughs) I mean, I think that is true. But I think that work is, there's some work there for both sides. I think that obviously it is triggering to think that, to be worried about your life. Mm -hmm. Just at a routine traffic stop, right? Yeah. It is. It is triggering to start to have a conversation about that long after it's happened and not be defensive. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that that is not important on on both sides. So I agree and appreciate what you just said. I do. But everything that you just said, even when you started about me making time for this and that it's not my responsibility to have this conversation, if I really do believe that we really are all connected and we are all in this together. Why wouldn't I? And I appreciate If somebody that. is finally asking, help me, help me help you. Yeah. What do you really want to say? What do you really want us to hear deep? When that door is open and you don't step through it, what does that say about you as a person of color? It's all of our responsibility and it's none of our responsibility is what I'm saying. We are all together here trying to figure it out. I agree. No, I mean, I agree and I hear what you're saying. I think what I'm trying to communicate is that the burden of the responsibility has been on people of color for far too long. And, you know, my daughter taught me, uh, she follows Rachel Cargill. Uh And, you know, recently there have been a lot of new followers on on her social media account. And a lot of people, white people, have been saying... Um, Rachel, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Teach me. I want to learn. Rachel already has so many resources out there. Yeah. She's already published so much. Like, take the initiative. This isn't the opportunity to be lazy. Yeah. Like, that's all I'm trying to say is like, take the initiative. Go above and beyond. Yeah. You know, really like get out of your comfort zone and try. Oh, that's all I'm asking of people is to try. And I'm not even asking any of this of other people. Mm-hmm. I'm just sharing my personal experience. So I just want to be really forthright about that. I'm not telling people what to do here. Mm-hmm. I just want to share my experience about what I've learned for the, in the last 48 hours of how clueless I have actually learned that I am when I actually thought I was, you know, a pretty educated. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I learned is that, you know, many of us, on any controversial subject, our go-to is to play it safe. And for any kind of change to happen, we need to stop playing it safe. We need to start having hard conversations with people that have power. And I'm actually, I just want to quote a lot of these things that I have learned have come from Rachel Rogers. So I just want to acknowledge her. I follow Marie. It's kind of a long backstory, but I follow Marie Forleo I'm a huge fan of Marie Forleo's. Uh Marie had a misstep in her community 
People can go research it if they want. I'm not here, you know, to necessarily get into the weeds of that. But I found Rachel through another online community I'm in talking about this. And I would say that her her Facebook Live was so educational for me on my mission to learn more. And so a lot of what I'm talking about is the advice that Rachel Rogers gave. So one of the, the last thing was, or not the last thing, but one of the things was, you know, we need to hard, start having hard conversations with people who have power. Yeah. As white people, we need to start having those hard conversations. And you know what those hard conversations look like? They're not easy conversations. Right. They're, you know, maybe sticking up for someone at work that isn't being promoted. Right. They're making your voice heard when you see that happen. Maybe it's even... You know, we all talk about that crazy uncle or aunt that we have that's from the South, that's kind of racist, and we go have Christmas dinner with them. You know, how about and just instead of just laughing about it and kind of brushing it under the rug, how about actually having a conversation with them? And whether it changes their mind or not, at least you're planting a seed. Right. And, you know, how about addressing it? How about just at the dinner table saying, you know what, do you know that that's really not appropriate? to say that (laughs) yeah and here's why and maybe through education we can help those situations we also need to be willing to risk to take a financial risk for standing for others yeah we do so you know what there may be people that don't like what i have to say today Mm -hmm. and they might not be clients. Might great. You know what? I don't want you as a client. Mm-hmm. And I think businesses, corporations, organizations, you know, individuals, we all need to be able to take a risk that hurts our bottom line for other people. Because at the end of the day, this is not about money. This is about something so much bigger. Absolutely. And we need to be able to own the fact that we may take a financial risk to our own bottom line to make a difference and make a change for someone else. The last thing that I'll mention, and there's many more, but the last thing I'll mention is, you know, there are many of us included. So I thought that my, I was doing a good job by on my presentations for my coaching business of, you know, putting making sure I had diverse people in my presentations and making sure I was representing everyone and that I was, you know, making it, you know, and it was like, boom, I checked the box, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, I did yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But whether you're doing that in a presentation, whether you're posting a post on social media this week, which I've seen so many people do, which is great. I like the awareness it's building. I like people are posting about it. I like that people are energized about it, but just like school shootings and just like the other, all the other black killings that have happened in our society, you know, this moment is going to end and then people are going to go back to complacency. Exactly. And how do I, I'm thinking about how do I keep this conversation going? And, you know, we need to do more than just posting on social media. We need to actually... And as Rachel says, like, stop doing performance allyship on social media. Right. And performance so, allyship is a really good way to put that. Right. Because yeah. there's a lot of people that just want to be recognized for their performance around being diverse, you know, be, uh, accepting diversity and, and including, you know, 
I'm not yeah. saying that right. But there's there's a lot of people I, that want the acceptance, you know, and, and the acknowledgement of like, hey, look what I'm doing. And I love what Rachel calls it. She's like, you know, don't ask for the cookie. Right. Like, <laughs> just stop asking for the treat. Like, stop, try, stop. And so, you know, it's really made me think about what more can I do? So I will tell you, you know, this podcast is step one, just around education. And I vow to continue my own personal education. I vow to continue to try to make an impact and to learn more and to do more. And this is where I kind of want to summarize by talking about what you and I talked about, because I, as much as it is thrown around so often, I do believe that knowledge is power. I agree. Knowledge is so powerful. And so I would like you to share with my audience what you and I are going to do to continue the knowledge, continue the conversation, continue the action, um, and and hopefully impact other people. Well, I wish I could afford to present this book by Ruth King, Mindful of Race, Transforming Racism from the Inside Out, to every single person that I met. It's very powerful, and it's a really good book um, about all the things. And I just gave you a snippet of kind of what's in there and how we can really dig deep and change things. But inside it, my company is going to give away 20 to 20 listeners a copy of this book. And you have been so, so gracious to match that. So we have 40 copies out there available to listeners. Um, I don't know how we want to do it first come first serve. Yeah, so we will like whoever asks first, or I don't know how we do yeah, that. Yeah, so what but. so what we'll do is we will hadn't thought about this, but we're doing this on the spot because we're just not <laughs> about we're we're just not about being perfect. So right, um, this podcast is launching on June third. Mm-hmm. We will keep it open for a month, let's mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. and. If you want to email me at natalie at corecreationcoaching.com, C-O-R-E, creation coaching, all one word, natalie at corecreationcoaching.com, we will choose 40 people and you just have to email us and let us know that you heard the offer on the podcast and send us your physical address. And depending on where you are, because we we do have a global audience, um, you'll either receive a physical copy or we will send you um, the electronic or Kindle copy of the book. So we'll figure out all the details. Like I said, it's not perfect. We planned this at the last minute, but we do want to, you know, I know this was a powerful book for you, Eric. I haven't read it, so I'm actually anxious to get my hands on it and read it. And I'm excited that we are doing this together and collaborating on this together to um, help get the message out there. Me too. I actually really appreciate the opportunity to even have this conversation. Mm -hmm. I really do. I mean, I think that you can see it one of two ways as a person of color, right? As a burden that's not yours, or you can see it as an opportunity. And it's just my nature to see it as an opportunity, especially when I get to do it with you. (laughs) so thank you so much for putting this together and for producing it putting it out to and i hope it resonates with as many people as possible and they really do get that all of this starts with them and there is something that you can do today and tomorrow 
I agree, my friend. And that's a great yeah. place to end. And yeah. I just want to thank you. My heart's so full and I so appreciate you prepping and being here and being present <laughs> and giving your gifts to my audience. I'm so grateful. I really am. And in addition to the physical book, if people want to email me, um, in addition to that, I will also have available in the show notes. I don't remember where I got the list from, but I will acknowledge it in the show notes. Um, I actually have a list of resources for people. There's podcasts, there's books, there's articles, there's a whole list of resources where people can step up and take action and do their own research and own education and really continue to further this conversation. So I will put those in the show notes. And awesome. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate it. It's It's been been great. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.